Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 21 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian, here as always with Michaela. Michaela, episode 21, the pod's old enough to drink and it's just in time to kick off Oscar week. You got it. You're absolutely right. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So uh, we had a lot of movies to watch, um, but I think we made it through basically everything. I'm pretty proud of how we did. How are, how are you feeling about your uh, Oscar watch this year? I have to say I am also, I share in that pride. Um, we, I think collectively, we both watched 54 of the 56 films. And the only reason we didn't watch all 56 is because two are physically not able to be watched yet. Yeah, 54 films, and we did it in about a month, at least I did, because I waited for the nominations to come out before really doing a deep dive. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, a lot of films. Yeah, so like you said, we covered everything. There are two we still have left to watch, and they're both shorts. So we still need to watch Opera, which is an animated short film. And we have Wide Eye, which is a live action short film. Now, word on the street is that those are going to be available for video on demand. We're recording this on Monday, so starting tomorrow on Tuesday of Oscar week. So hopefully by Sunday night, we'll get to watch those. So we will, as a caveat, if we need to update our lists, we will definitely do that and make sure that everyone knows what our what our final picks are if they change from today. But Absolutely. And it's interesting because if you are a member of the Academy... I'm not sure how this is done anymore. If they give you uh, as a member screening rights so you can just go watch these. I know pre-COVID, that's kind of how that worked. But now that Mm -hmm. we're still in the middle uh, of a pandemic, I don't know how that works. So, you know, a lot of what I found this year is it's much more of a kind of a game changer as far as if people got to see the films. So if Mm -hmm. you'll remember, um, if you're an Oscar history buff in, you know, 1996, when the English patient won, or I think maybe it was 1997, uh, no one had seen it yet. It wasn't even out in theaters in America. Um, Mm -hmm. And yet it won for like 13 Oscars or some craziness. So a very different experience here because everybody pretty much can watch everything, which is, which is nice, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's been a been a pretty crazy month or so since we had the nominations come out. But yeah, we made it through all of them and we're ready to dive into uh, kind of the categories, talk a little bit about each of the films, uh, what we thought about them and make our Oscar picks for the week. Now, we want everyone listening to also go and make their Oscar picks because we have an amazing contest we're doing. So if you just go to our website, which is www.drinkthemovies.com, you can go to the Oscars 2021 tab and fill out your own Oscar bracket. And if you make the most correct picks, whoever makes the most correct ones are going to win a one-of-a-kind special edition, uh, limited edition, uh, Drink the Movies Rocks Glass. So definitely want to make sure you get your picks in. It's you know free to do. It's just kind of for fun. So make sure you fill that out and make sure you put your email address on the form if you want to be eligible to win that prize. Yes, absolutely. I'm super excited about that. It's really uh, a way to share our love of the Oscars with everybody, Brian. I'm so happy. Yeah, exactly. So, well, if we're going to talk about Oscars, we're going to uh, need to get ourselves some drinks first. So why don't we take a quick break and we'll go uh, mix up something. I'm thinking martinis. That kind of sets the mood. What do you think? I think you are correct. 
All right. We'll be right back in just a minute and we'll talk about uh, our house martini recipes. All right. So for our Oscar preview show, what we thought instead of, you know, picking a new cocktail, we thought it would be a good idea to give our martini recipes. Now, Michaela and I both really love a martini and we love watching movies and we love drinking a martini while we watch movies. So if you ever come over to visit one of us and say, let's watch a movie, and we're probably going to make you one of these. So Michaela, tell me about your house martini. My house martini. So I have two uh, options, right? I like a little dirty uh, every now and then, but I also like the crisp, clean taste of, of a lemon martini. So I'm going to go over the lemon one because I think yours is also a little dirty and we'll get mm-hmm. the best of both worlds that way. Yep. So Mine is um, actually my lemon martinis made with vodka. I usually make this for my best friend, Jeff. If you're listening, I love you. And vodka's at my house. I've got three ounces of vodka. I really love Snow Queen for this. That's my vodka of choice. If you can't get oh, Snow okay. Queen, um, there's, uh, you know, Grey Goose is also really good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think especially for the lemon, it, it really lends itself well. Um I don't use a lot of vermouth. I do literally a cap full. So whether your vermouth, it, what, you know, it, whether it's a big or small cap, mm-hmm. if, if you're using vermouth that you like to make martinis with, I usually just do a cap full. Uh, usually your vermouth is going to come with like a screw cap. So it's probably roughly like a quarter of an ounce, I would yeah. guess. I would say so. Um, usually when I'm making these, I'm not super, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not super, um, surgical right. about it. Um, but then the, the real key is going to be your lemon rind. So you're going to want to peel kind of a half inch long or a half inch wide rind and mm-hmm. make sure you twist it around the glass. One of the things that I really like to do with all my martinis, even if it's just a Tuesday night is to run your glass under some ice water. So it's really, mm-hmm. really cold. And as you, you know, you shake your martini and you put it in the glass, then, you know, the glass is chilled, the liquid is chilled. You've got this really beautiful lemon rind and you, you know, twist it to make sure that the oils get around the side. Um, Mm -hmm. it's when it, when I first had this martini, I was very young. I was maybe 23 years old and I was learning how to make it. And I thought it was kind of BS, this whole lemon thing, um, Mm -hmm. that you have to get the oils all around it, but it's really wonderful. And it's a nice crisp one. Yeah, for sure. No, that sounds delicious. So, um, so if you come over to my house and you just ask me to make a martini, I will make a very dry martini sometimes. And sometimes I will make a, you know, a pretty standard dirty martini. But if I'm just going to make one for myself, or if someone comes over and asks for one, I kind of go like halfway in between. So not super dirty, um, but also not super dry. So for mine's going to be gin because you can't make a martini with vodka. I don't believe in that. So uh, two, and a half, two and a half ounces of gin. Now, if I have my choice, I'm going to use Plymouth gin. That's my favorite of the uh, gin brands out there. So two and a half ounces of that. And then a quarter of an ounce of your dry vermouth and a quarter ounce of olive brine. Um, and yeah, like Michaela said, make sure you get your glass nice and chilled down. So, you know, fill it up with some ice or something before you start mixing this together. Uh, stirred, of course, and then strained. And then I like to do a blue cheese olive if I'm doing um, any sort of a dirty martini. If I'm doing a dry martini, then I'll just use uh, your regular, you know, pimento uh, olive there. Sure. Uh, but if I'm if I'm just doing one up on a weeknight to watch a movie, I'm going to 
I guess I kind of split the difference in kind of this uh, very subtly dirty martini. Those are my favorite of the dirties, right? Like you go through phases, I think, but I love it where it's just dirty enough to turn you on kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. But how many, the real question, Brian, is in yours, how many olives do you put in? Oh, it's always three olives. I always do three. It doesn't matter what kind of uh, martini I do or what kind of olive I do. Um, I always do three. Um, and and another thing, uh, just on a side note that I like to do, whenever I get a new gin, um, if I'm at the liquor store and I pick up a new gin or a local gin, anything like that, I like to, uh, the first thing I'll do with it is make a very dry martini, uh, which we'll have to talk about some other time. And I also like to make just a regular standard uh, gin and tonic. So just gin, you know, just plain regular tonic and a lime wedge, just so I can kind of see what the gin's all about and then see uh, where I can go with it. Because some gins I really like in gin and tonics, but not so much in martinis and some are uh, the other way around. So uh, that's just, that's just something I like to do with gin on a side note to that. Yeah, for sure. I found that especially like we've talked about my favorite gin a lot, which was Brockman's, right? And it's really floral. So it does not do a martini super well, but it, lo- it does a beautiful mm-hmm. gin and tonic. So it's just not my favorite, especially if I'm going to do a dry martini. Right. Right. So yep. uh, totally feel you there. No, but three, three, three olives is good. Two is, two is way too few. I, I don't understand it. Three, three or more. Yeah. Three's, three's the way to go. Well, now that we've got these mixed up, are we ready to uh, talk about the nominations and make our picks for, uh, for next week? I think we have, we have, uh, 26 different categories to get through so i think we better down these martinis uh, mix up another one and then we'll be uh, back in just a minute to talk about all of the oscar noms spoiler warning for our academy awards pre-show if you've not yet seen any of the 56 films that are up for an academy award nomination you can press pause you can go make yourself some martinis and come back to this We're going to do our best not to spoil the actual films, but you should know that we're going to talk a little bit about the subject matter for all of these. So just so you know, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, first, first category, what do we got, Michaela? First category is best animated short film and up for the nomination is Burrow, Genius Loki, If Anything Happens, I Love You, Opera, and Yes People. Okay. Yeah. So best animated short film. Uh, So this is one of the ones we haven't seen yet. We haven't seen opera yet, either of us. We're going to do our best to watch it this week. So hopefully it's going to be available. So uh, yeah, these were all pretty good. Do any of these stick out to you, uh, Michaela? Yeah, I think probably Genius Loki uh, has got Mm -hmm. a lot of buzz around it um, just because it's it's a very interestingly visually done film it's not my favorite <laughs> i will say yeah that one's almost like looking at like a surrealist painting uh kind of thing right like it's very much like a like a moving uh, yes. portrait or something yes uh, yeah very very interesting yeah yeah it was it was and to be honest i think i started watching it and i rewound it and started watching it again because i mm-hmm. felt kind of lost um, which is tough for me because I, I like to think I'm a fairly intelligent movie viewer. And so mm-hmm. if I'm lost, usually that something's kind of lost there for me. Um, but it's getting a lot of buzz. So it wouldn't surprise me if Genius Loki wins. But my I'm I'm pulling for If Anything Happens, I Love You. Okay. Yeah, If Anything Happens, I Love You. That one's uh, excellent. Um, 
as well. Uh, you have Burrow, which is the uh, Pixar short. I think that one might be the shortest yes. of the of the films this year. Um, that one's really good, really cute. Um, you have Yes People, which I think we watched on uh, YouTube uh, out of Iceland. That, one, that one's kind of weird, kind of a, an interesting uh, little story there about all these uh, people just uh, kind of going through their day. So, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to also say if anything happens i love you that's going to be uh my pick for uh this category this uh go around here yeah yeah it's very good and i think honestly it's best animated short films kind of tough because they're short so that that's in its advantage right so you could watch mm-hmm. all of these easily in a day um but if you don't have the time i would definitely say watch if anything happens i love you especially uh if you're american I think it would be really great if you watched it. It's important. It's a tough one, right, to to watch. But yeah, very important and uh, very well done. The art style on it is really great, kind of that uh, pencil uh, shading style. So yeah, that looks like uh, both of our picks there for that one. Okay, so moving on. So we've got our next uh, short films. These are going to be in the best live action uh, category. We have Feeling Through, The Letter Room, the present, two distant strangers, and white eye. Now, uh, again, so white eye—that was the second of the two films that we haven't watched yet, so we can't really speak uh, too in depth on that. But of the other four, uh, Michaela, what did you? What were your feelings on these ones this year? Oh, these were all brilliant films. I really thought that all of them had amazing. Um, they, they were amazing pieces of film. I loved mm-hmm. feeling through, um, it's kind of a very uplifting story, um, kind of very heartfelt. And that was one of the first ones I saw. I loved the letter room. I thought that was a beautiful way of looking at uh, folks on death row and mm-hmm. very paradigm shifting for me because I never thought about, you know, the people that are family and related to folks who are sitting in death row kind of, uh, in the American prison system. Um, right. The present was great. It was a great history lesson for me because I was, uh, I don't mind saying, I was pretty ignorant on what it would be like living in the West Bank area. And so mm-hmm. that that was really beautifully done. But I, I think my, my pick is going to be Two Distant Strangers, um, especially given what's going on uh, in America today with race um, and, you know, what is just prevalent within our police system, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and generally what's going on. I, I really encourage anybody, if you can't watch all of these, please watch Two Distant Strangers. It was brilliant, and um, but it is very hard to watch, but it's important. Again, it's everybody should watch it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I feel kind of the same way about you. All of these stories were really well done uh, this year, and they all kind of came in about 30 minutes uh the present i liked a lot like you i'm you know it's it's kind of something you know but you don't really you know think about how that would you know affect kind of your uh, day-to-day life and it you know kind of shed some light there which is uh really interesting um feeling through another really excellent uh story um i think that was the first time ever um that a deaf and blind uh, actor had been 
on you know in one of these movies or in something that's been nominated so you know that one's also a really good story but yeah i think i'm gonna have to go with you uh, again we're we're just uh lining up here to get this thing started off yeah two distant strangers um a really important story it's really creative the way that that it was portrayed um and done you don't kind of see it coming when it happens and you don't really expect the ending that you're going to get but for as you know, sad and terrible as it is there's you know it does end with kind of a spark of hope so uh hopefully that hope is not unfounded and that's going to be my pick for uh best live action short film yeah it's a it's a it's real good it's real hard but it is real good yeah and i hope it wins i hope it wins but again you know with this with this category i wouldn't be upset you know i wouldn't feel slighted if a bunch if any of these others have won because they were Mm -hmm. all so brilliantly done um i just i just think two two distant strangers is really uh appropriate um and it, it was it was beautifully done for this this time right so yep yeah absolutely next category we have is best sound the nominees for best sound are greyhound mank news of the world soul and sound of metal yeah so uh these are all pretty good picks here so you have soul there as being the animated one uh that one always seems or animated films especially you know your better ones always seem to uh get a little bit of love in this category uh just because you know everything they're doing has to be uh recorded and edited into to this you know there's uh, no natural sound in the in the cartoon world but uh, a lot of really good ones greyhound you know the world war ii naval the sound in that was amazing um but I, I think if I'm uh, picking from these, uh, you have to go with Sound of Metal, the way that they used sound in that film to kind of portray uh, Riz Ahmed's character losing his hearing. Uh, it was just, it was very interesting and it added a lot to the way they were telling that story, uh, which I thought was really cool. So I'm going with Sound of Metal for my best sound uh, pick. What about... Uh, you, Michaela, which which sounds are you a big fan of this year? You know, uh, Brian, we're, we are going to have to disagree at some point on these nominations because oh. I also was going to pick Sound of Metal. I really love the way that they did depict um, the act of being hearing impaired and um, the way that they really use that sound to portray his character study is Mm -hmm. pretty phenomenal. I loved soul and I really love the, the, the sound mixing um, and the score, the overall score of soul Um, and news of the world. It was also very good, um, especially dealing with some of the, the weather, um, you know, Tom Hanks movies, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, he's done really well in the sound category. Um, yeah. But I, I do think that Sound of Metal is probably the most outstanding in this. Yeah. I said so the, the sound design really in all of those was great, but I think just the way that it was utilized to tell the story and Sound of Metal really kind of sets it apart from you know, just being something that sounds good and has good sound design. I, so I think just kind of that extra little bit gives it an edge there. So totally agree. And 
And yeah, you need to quit copying me because we forgot to mention that last year I won this contest between you and I. So yeah, I think that's why you're taking all my. Is picks that so was that why? Year, so you know, you did you did uh, mention it the first that you mentioned it last week. Yeah, we we don't need true. to relive the past. We should aim no, towards if, the future, Brian. If you if you beat me this year, then I will not mention it next week. <laughs> How about that? So. Yeah, no. <laughs> all right. Well, so uh, so going on, I guess we're gonna have to have to keep making these picks, though. So, uh, so our next category is going to be best original song. Um, so we have "Fight for You" from Judas and the Black Messiah, "Hear My Voice" from The Trial of the Chicago Seven, Husevic from Eurovision, "Low Sea Scene" from The Life Ahead, and "Speak Now" from One Night in Miami. Um, now these are these are all pretty good. So we had in the Golden Globes, "The Life Ahead" was the big winner there, but. I don't know. Uh, all of these sort of, uh, you know, really kind of tied into the story they were telling. What are your thoughts on the best original song this year, Michaela? You know, I was a big fan of uh, Low Sea Scene from The Life of Head. It's gotten a lot of press, so it wouldn't surprise me if it wins. But to be honest, um, I'm going to go out on a limb. I loved Husevic mm-hmm. from Eurovision, which is not, you know, uh, it's not a for best picture or anything like that. It's a comedy. Um, right. But the, that song really fit into the story in a very different way. Um, n- none of the other songs are pervasive in the actual movie itself. It's usually along the credits or in the opening credits. Um, and right. then that, that, that's important. Uh, don't misunderstand me. But I really loved how the actual song, Husevic, um, played and it was so beautifully done. Mm-hmm. I actually got very emotional watching that part of it, um, yep. which, you know, it's a comedy. It's not supposed to be, it was supposed to be really just a kind of a happy go lucky film, but I, I loved it. Um, and I love that song. So that's, that's going to be my choice. Yeah, that's that's a really good pick. Now, when we got the Oscar nominations and you made up our very large spreadsheet with you know, all you know fifty six or whatever of these films on there, and I saw that I was going to get to watch Eurovision, I was not super excited about it. My wife, on the other hand, was very excited about it because she loves Will Ferrell. So I was like, well, at least you know I'll put I'll put this one on. Uh, you know, the rest of these movies are not going to be very happy, but this will be this will be good. That that will make her happy. We can watch this. And a couple of things. Eurovision was a lot better than I expected it to be. Um, and yeah, uh, Husevic, the song from it, is really good, and it really fits into the story, and it sort of, you know, kind of, you know, brings that film to life. And you know, the song within the context of the story is really great. Um, but I do think um, that low C scene from the life ahead is going to repeat off of the golden globes pick and take this one. So that's our, uh, that's our first disagreement. So. Well, that's okay. That's all right. And again, if it wins, I'd be, I wouldn't be, you know, I'm not hating on it. Um, it's just, yeah. Husevic was, was real good. Yeah. To me. I liked it. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, that's that's the one I would pick with my heart. But I think if I'm if I'm picking with my head, I got I'm gonna go with the uh, the life ahead, and that's kind of gonna be a theme for all of these categories, right? It's like there's really not many bad picks this year, which is not something that's you know really ever true hardly. But yeah, uh, there there are very few uh, missteps this year. So yeah, there's there there definitely have been years in the past where I'm like anything but this should win anything right. but this. 
Yes. I will not name names, but there definitely have been some in the past where um, people are like, why are they nominated? I don't get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So our next category is best original score. And the nominations for best original score are The Five Bloods, Mank, Minari, News of the World, and Soul. And I might have tipped my hand on this one, but uh, because I, I mentioned it earlier, I really loved Soul's best original score. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, you know, it's, I think it's Trent Reznor and. Yeah, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Batiste, uh, yes. who does the uh, jazz music there for, for Soul. And I, I just loved the way that it brought all these weird kind of sounds together to make. Um, to tell the story, not in a mm-hmm. sound editing way, but just in an overarching, I mean, obviously it's got the jazz in it because it's talking about a jazz singer, but the different souls that you meet up in kind of the mm-hmm. heaven, utopian afterworld, before world guff kind of place, yeah. um, wherever that, whatever that place is called. Um, I just thought that was really brilliant. And I thought it was really, it really stood out. News of the world was great too. Um, Mank uh, was, was wonderful. Minari's, uh, score was beautiful, but I really think that if I was pressed for me, it would be soul. Yeah. And, uh, that was, uh, the way it went in the golden globes. So soul won for best original, uh, score there. Um, and yeah, like you said, Minari, the, the score for that, you know, kind of this, you know, sweeping, you know, kind of soundtrack to, you know, this, uh, American dream, uh, farmer's life and, you know, kind of the same sort of a thing for news of the world, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with soul. I think that uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross have kind of a, a history of putting together these uh, really good scores for films. And uh, just, it's so interesting the way that they uh, utilized the score in soul to really sort of set the different parallels, like you said, between, you know, kind of earth and the afterlife and the kind of between worlds and to set off all the characters there. So Absolutely. It's fantastic. Okay. So for our next category, we have the best visual effects. And um, let me just say, when I was looking over these categories, all of the technical categories this year were really hard for me to, to nail down because there's a lot of really good stuff and they're all kind of different. So it's just going to depend on uh, what the, uh, what they're looking for that day. So um yeah, best visual effects. We have the nominees of Love and Monsters, The Midnight Sky, Mulan, The One and Only Ivan, and Tenet. Uh, Michaela, best visual effects. What? Which one did you like looking at this year? Ooh, I really loved looking at The Midnight Sky. I don't think it's going to win, but I really loved looking at The Midnight Sky. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was an interesting story, and I thought it really it mixes kind of this very stark look at, you know, Antarctica <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, right. um, like the pole, I, I don't, the polar ice camps are melting. It's like everything's freezing and they're running out of oxygen and there's radiation everywhere. Um, so there's really stark kind of, it's the desert only it's in covered in snow instead of sand. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mixing that with like these really beautiful um, space kind of, um, uh, panoramic views and ships and um done in a very different way and i thought that that was really beautiful um i thought tenant 
um, for all of the issues that I had with that film, and there are quite a few for me, um, I thought Tennant's visual effects were also amazing. Um, mm-hmm because of the, the, you know, you're going back in time sort of. <laughs> so you're watching things unhappen and the way that they did that was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, those are probably my two favorite. Um, what, did, what was your, do you have okay. a pick? I will, I will, I will tell uh, mine and then you can steal my pick so you don't <laughs> get too far behind me on these things. But yeah, I, there were so many good visual effects this year. So uh, Love and Monsters was one of the last films that we watched, and I really liked that movie a lot. Um, I really liked the practical effects, the way that they did the monsters, uh, but some of the CG was a little wonky, so I think that that uh, tick- knocks it out for me. Um, you know, you already kind of talked about the Midnight Sky. You know, Mulan looked great, kind of the the color and the fights and the choreography. Uh, that was really wonderful. Uh, the one and only Ivan, uh, you know, just Disney bringing all of those animals to life. Um, the CG and that is really outstanding. Uh, but I think that my pick is going to be Tenet. Um, and it's for some of the reasons that you just said, especially, I'm um, not going to get into spoilers too much, but kind of at the end and the, the culmination of all of this stuff that's going on in the film. And you have basically a big battle scene where half of it's moving backwards and half of it's moving forwards. Um, and yeah, whatever whatever you think about Tenet and how much sense it doesn't make or how obnoxiously loud it is. Uh, the way that it looks is brilliant and the way that it's choreographed and however it got filmed. Uh, so best visual effects for me is going to be Tenet. Yeah, I think you're probably right, Brian. I don't mean to steal you. You're, you're fired. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're probably right. I, I You know, it, it's tough because, I, and I've said this, I, I didn't understand a lot about what was happening Mm -hmm. in the film. Like the plot had some issues with that. I had some issues with it. Um, and the sound, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole blog about how the sound is in that, but I do think that it, it, it was something that had never been done before. And Mm -hmm. as beautiful as the midnight sky is and how lovely I think that story is, I, you know, we've seen a lot of spaceships before and we've seen a lot of vast death, you know, right. um, kind of the world is ending scenes. Um, So I think you're probably right. I think it's probably going to win. I will say this for anybody um, who hasn't seen Love and Monsters, that was kind of a dark horse in the running. It was one of the ones, the last ones that I saw as well. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a really, really brilliant movie. There's a couple of films that come out during the Oscar season they get maybe one or two nominations last year mm-hmm. I, or the year before maybe it was Ready Player One which I thought was absolutely awesome um, is you know not super esoteric you're not maybe not going to have a huge paradigm shift and it's not going to change your life but they're just solidly great films and I thought Love and Monsters was one of them um, uh, and so I, I really encourage anybody to go see it if you haven't it's only got this nomination, so we're not going to be able to talk about it any other time. To, but yep. uh, it's worth it's worth your time. And I do I did like the monsters, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, the mon- the monsters looked looked great, and I would love for it to win. I'd never heard of this film until yeah. it got until it got nominated. So I'm glad that it did, you know, even just in the one category because I probably never would have watched it. It's not something I ever would have watched. But yeah, I'd I'd recommend it to anyone to go check it out for sure. So yeah. And in a, in a year of these movies that were 
not very uplifting. Uh, that one is a happier one. So that's kind of nice as well. So yeah, for sure. It's got to, <laughs> you know, be- and it's, and it's even about, you know, kind of the, the uh, apocalypse going on too. So. <laughs> yeah. Instead of, in, yeah, it's, it's like the walking dead only instead of zombies, there are monsters everywhere. So it's, uh, it's got a good message though. I like it. It's good. Mm-hmm. Uplifting, even in a post-apocalyptic, you know. Exactly. That, that's what we're looking for for uh, cheery films these days. I guess. Well, in 2021, man, we're, yeah. we're we're trying to find the silver lining in this in this dumpster fire. Um, that's it. So the next category we have is uh, best makeup and hairstyling, um, which is a great category. I always love this category because you mm. always get the most fantastical films. Um, uh, perhaps maybe not this year, but usually that's usually what happens. So our mm-hmm. nominations for best makeup and hairstyling are Emma, Hillbilly Elegy, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, and Pinocchio. Yeah, so this is one that I'm uh, struggling with a lot. So you have uh, Hillbilly Elegy, where they're, um, you know, basically taking you know Amy Adams and Glenn Close and you know, completely transforming them, you know, so they, you know, don't look anything uh, like they do. Uh, you have Pinocchio with, you know, has just these, uh, you know, crazy costumes and animal, uh, you know, makeups to kind of bring this fairy tale to life. Um, you have Emma, which is pretty, uh, it's pretty great. If you're looking at um, just in the hairstyling category, uh, you have just this huge cast of all of these women and they all have these different updos in every scene um, and they all just look uh, perfect and very elegant um, in England. But yeah, I don't know. This one is, this one's really tough. I'm going to let you talk about this one for a second and then I'm going to make my pick. I'm going to, this is out of your playbook here. So yeah. what, what, do you, what do you think about these? Uh, anybody that can make Amy Adams look... Um like a heroin addict for some odd years and make her look really unattractive is uh, going to win for me. So I, I'm picking Hillbilly Elegy for best makeup and hairstyling for a couple of reasons. Glenn Close is amazing. And it, it, this is based on Hillbilly Elegy is a true story. Um, it's based on a true story rather. Uh, and if you look at the end, they actually have home videos and they look exactly the same, uh, the, the actors look exactly the same as the real people. And that's really difficult to do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Violet Davis's character, who's actually Ma Rainey, um, her makeup and hair is also fabulous. You know, yep. Mank is really classic. Um, and as you said, Emma, Emma and Mank to me kind of are tied because they're period pieces. Um, we know what the hair and makeup would have looked like at that point. We, you know, there's a lot of research to, to show what that would do. So recreating that is uh, important and it's a big feat, but I, I thought Hillbilly Elegy was just a little bit different because it, it, I think it's a lot harder to make someone look really overweight and grotesque and puffy and like, you know, they're shooting heroin in their eyeballs, you know, <laughs> like I think right. that's probably harder to do. Um, you know, Pinocchio was really fantastical and I, I thought that the makeup was amazing, but to be honest, I couldn't tell what was makeup and what was CGI. Mm-hmm. And so that was tough for me yeah. to really say, oh, this definitely gets best makeup and hairstyling because, you know, Pinocchio himself, I think that was a lot of visual effects um, right? and which it, they weren't up for. So 
that that was kind of tough for me. Um, mm-hmm. to, yeah, that, to, but that's my choice. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so Pinocchio is one of the last ones I think that both of us had watched. And while I was watching it, I was kind of thinking to myself, oh, okay, I could see this uh, picking that back up. And I agree with a lot of what you say about Hillbilly Elegy, but I think for my pick, I think I'm going to go with Emma. I think just the the hairstyling, I think, is just really fantastic in that one. The way that it looks uh, on especially all of the uh, women in the cast and through all these scenes and kind of these, you know, uh, social gatherings and stuff, all the different updos. Um, I think that's that's the one for me. I think Hillbilly Elegy is probably kind of the kind of the favorite, just in the big transformation that they did. But I think um, just in kind of the breadth of work, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Emma for that one. So. Okay, okay, all right. Well, moving on to best costume design. This is going to be a lot of the uh, same uh, nominees here. So we have Emma again. We have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, and Pinocchio, but. Um, we're going to add Mulan to this one as far as the nominees go. So uh, what about costume design? So uh, Hillbilly uh, Elegy said for makeup and hairstyling, but uh, costume design, what are you thinking on that one? You know, it's really hard again for me um, because so many of these are kind of period pieces in that we have an understanding of what people wore back in those days, right? So it's not like, were, you know, Pinocchio is the only one that's mm-hmm. really um, got some room to to grow as far as they, they could do anything they want, right? Um, yep. So it's it's a tough it's tough for me because again, I, I did love Emma. I thought Emma was visually stunning, and it's probably my favorite um, story uh, of um, the of the Emma story that's told. I mean, this is probably the fourth or fifth time mm-hmm. it's been made. Um, sure, and. I thought the costumes were beautiful and not just for the men, but for the, for the women as well. But I think I'm going to go out on a limb. Oh man, this is hard. Yeah. These tech, these technical ones, these this ones year. are really difficult. Cause I thought Mank, um, and I know you don't think Mank's going to win anything, but I thought the costumes That's true. I didn't Mank say that. was, was uh, I thought they were beautiful and really well done. And I really love um, that there was a, not just for the women, because we we tend to look at the dresses and, you know, mm-hmm. like we said, the hairstyles sure. and things. Um, but I thought that the way that they suited up the main character over the course of his time and his career, um, mm-hmm. if you pay attention to that, it it actually shifts quite a bit and it looks it looks really good. Um, and it really kind of shows what um, maybe what's going on within him. Oh, this is hard. Um, yeah, and I think um, uh, to that point, I think Mank probably should get a little bit of extra credit because it's filmed in black and white. So they're really having to rely on the detailing of the dresses and of the, you know, the tuxes and to, to really sort of convey how they look because they're not able to play off of the color on any of these, as opposed to something like Mulan, which is, you know, really heavy into the colors, right? You have all the bright reds and the bright whites, um, you know, the, the soldiers there in that film are wearing so you know kind of a more of a a different take on what you're able to do with your costume design yeah and I think you know thinking back on it I think Milan's probably going to take this one home I don't know I think I think it might Pinocchio again because some of it was 
CG. I, I know some of it was vis- visual effects. I don't know how much mm-hmm. of it was actually costumed. And the yep. one, the parts of it that definitely weren't costumed, I don't know. Yep. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't see anything super fantastic there. Um, Roberto Benini, you're amazing. But um, yeah. So I think I'm gonna choose Mulan. Mulan. Okay. Uh, we're gonna lock you in on that. And uh, you must have been reading my mind because I'm actually also going to go with Mulan. Um, I think just from a stance of being visually kind of striking and the way that they used the, you know, the costuming and that one, I think kind of set it apart from these other uh, sort of period pieces that we, that we had there in the other nominees. Yeah. And I think one of the things that also set it apart for me was the visualization of what the actual character of Mulan had to go through from a costuming mm-hmm. perspective, because sure. Spoiler alert, Milan's about a woman who is dressing up like a man in order to defend her country and save her, keep her father from having to go and fight in a war. And so, um, you know, that aspect of it, I thought was also really good because this is a Disney film and it, it's an adult-ish version of this. This was a, it was a cartoon, but mm-hmm. um, they do a really good job of, of letting you know that um, as an adult woman, she's faced with a lot of, you know, could be very uncomfortable sure. yeah. and dangerous issues um, through the costuming itself. Um, and so that, that really sets it apart, I think, from others. Although I will say I will always love Chadwick Boseman's Yellow Shoes and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah, those were, those were good shoes for sure. They were good shoes. So the next category that we have is best production design and the nominations that we have for that are the father ma rainey's black bottom mank news of the world and tenant okay he has some some good uh, options here for sure so uh you have mank that one's you know sort of you know painting this old uh hollywood town so you're getting to see that play out you know in front of the in front of the camera um i really like uh, news of the world kind of the the way that those sets were made you have sort of these little uh you know old west sort of uh, outpost type of towns uh, that you're getting to see um and they all looked to my very untrained eye that they were actual sets that they had probably built and uh filmed at least for the large part i'm sure they probably supplemented some of that stuff in there um and then you have something like the father, which, you know, kind of on the surface, you don't really think too much about the production design on something like that. Um, but if you've, if you've not watched the father yet, or if you have watched the father, um, it looks very much like a play, right. That you're watching on television. So, you know, on one hand, you think that, well, that's not that hard. You know, they're just setting a camera up on a tripod and letting Anthony Hopkins act in front of it for, for some time. But uh, there's there's one particular scene in The Father. It's, it's not going to really spoil too much, but um, it is. It's just that it's a camera basically sat on a tripod and Anthony Hopkins is uh, basically putting groceries away and then packing them back up into uh, kind of his shopping bag. And he does this about three times. So the shot holds. It doesn't move at all for like has to be close to like five minutes, like, like four minutes. Um, so when you think about having basically a still image on screen for that long, everything has to look perfect. And there are, you know, multiple instances of this in that film. So I, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm not sure that it's probably the best pick, but I'm going to go with the father as my pick for best production design. Wow. 
That is, I am actually very surprised that that's your pick. That's awesome, though. I do agree. Um, the Father was a play before it was a film. And um, it is very highly dialogue driven. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's a couple of um, changes that happen, right? There's a couple of house moves um, that occur. There's a hospital scene. There's um, a really beautiful scene where um, Anthony Hopkins' character keeps looking out the window and mm-hmm. seeing things. Um, so I, I think, I think, you know, the award for best production design really, it's all about how the film looks and feels not, but not the costuming and not the makeup, but what the set is. And Mm -hmm. I think you're probably, you know, I I respect that choice. This one's really hard again, because, you know, Tenet had really great, um, visual effects, right? We've talked Mm -hmm. about that already. I don't know how much of the production design had, uh, had to be moved or changed or designed around those visual effects. Right. Um, you know, and, and news of the world is just very gorgeously, you know, filmed. It's just gorgeously filmed. You got these really be- beautiful panoramic views of the plains and it's supposed to be in Texas and, you know, lots of, um, lots of dust. There's a lot of dust. There's a lot of wind and a lot of rain. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is also really special because it was a play as well. Mm-hmm. And in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, there's only like two or three rooms in the entire space. And yep. it is hugely dialogue driven. Um, and the, 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 the stories, unlike The Father, which I think takes place, it takes a place over a few years, the story of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom really takes place in about four or five hours. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I'm going to choose Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Oh, okay. So we're, we're both going uh, low key on our production design this year. We're, we're choosing uh, nuance over uh, scope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to choose scope, I guess news of the world would have to be it. Right. Cause even Mank, you know, it's, it's tough because Mank is in black and white spoiler alert. Um, so you know, you get, you get a lot of the Hollywood look and feel, but again, it's mm-hmm. kind of muted because you're looking at this golden time in Los Angeles through the eyes of, you know, this kind of grayscale. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Well, so we talked kind of uh, there about the production design. So now how is all of this stuff filmed? So best cinematography, we've got the nominees of Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, News of the World, Nomadland and the Trial of the Chicago Seven. Uh, which which film looks and plays the best this year, Michaela? I think Nomadland really looked great on film. It mm-hmm. was really beautifully filmed. Mank, I mean, I think Mank's probably got one up on Nomadland because it has been nominated for everything and I think they've they're gonna show it some type of love but yeah this one's really hard yeah this one is really hard um so if I'm thinking about these for for my picks I'm gonna jump in here because I know you're uh you're struggling with this one so um like you said yeah Mank looks great and 
Um, I mentioned it before with the costuming, just the fact that it's in black and white, you have to sort of go above and beyond with the other things to kind of convey what you're trying to do because you lose color as one of your uh, ways to tell your story. So that looks really good. Um, News of the world, we just mentioned, uh, you get a lot of, they're probably doing it with with, uh, drones, I would imagine, but you get a lot of uh, kind of top-down aerial views of these little towns uh, Mm -hmm. coming in that look really great. They kind of they're kind of these establishing shots just to, you know, kind of show you how vast and open this particular time in, you know, the, the Western United States was. Uh, but I think if I'm going to make a pick, I'm going to have to go with Nomadland and whoever did their uh, location scouting for that did uh, an amazing job because I think that just the way that it looks and feels and kind of these spaces that they're able to capture very beautifully Uh, really sort of it's almost like a character in the film right just the way that it looks and the places that they are so uh, for me best cinematography this year I'm going with Nomadland did I give you some help there did I muddy the waters or no you know well I was gonna say Nomadland because I do really think there's a couple of scenes that I want to specifically talk about the very Mm -hmm. last scene Um, And I don't want to spoil it for everyone, but the very last scene has these beautiful mountains in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's incredibly lonely and, and, and yet uplifting. And you've got a lot of emotions looking at this kind of house that's sitting in, you know, in front of these incredibly large mountains. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's so much of that. There's another scene where the main character is, uh, kind of on this edge of this cliffs and she's seeing these birds um, and it is told in a different way at a different point in the film, but it really encapsulates things mm-hmm. um, and, and emotions. And so I, I think you're probably right. I think Nomadland is going to win, but I will say that Judas and the Black Messiah had some amazing um, kind of cuts um, and it tells a story in a very, different way there's a lot of um shots of uh one of the characters driving in a car and Mm -hmm. you know his reaction to things as he's you know really confronted with with doing some things and betraying people that he ends up caring about that is really depicted very well and it's it's it had to have been a really interesting scene to shoot because of um how they did it and because he's driving in a car um you know, there, there was, I think I'm going to have to agree with you that it's probably Nomadland. Although I will say some of the shots in the trial of Chicago seven are just epically great too. Right. Um, yep. The way that the, the, they shot some of the scenes in the trial of the Chicago seven um, that ended up mirroring what you later see as real footage mm-hmm. was awesome. And there's, you know, that's a much larger cast because there are groups of people, um, you know, standing and, and, and protesting. Uh, so that had to have been kind of harder to, to deal with as well. Yeah. So both go in nomad land there. So. But I will say also one thing I will say about the news of the world. I had no idea um, how integral uh, wagon wheels were. Uh, I mean, it sounds really stupid. Like I didn't know how to fix them 
until I saw mm. News of the World, <laughs> which which sounds kind of silly, but it, it was just it's very educational because they do a lot of close ups on this wagon that is going all over the place that Tom yeah. Hanks is driving as he's he's going to try and uh, sell these papers. And it was really interesting how um, how how that worked back in back in the day and what yeah. kind of trouble you'd be in if you didn't know how to fix it. So that's true. You have to have to be able to take care of your uh, wagon as you're going around there for sure. Yeah, for sure. So the next category is best film editing, and we have The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. And I'm going to go out on a limb and just say that I think Trial of Chicago Seven is going to win for best film editing. Mm -hmm. Although I truly loved the editing, the film editing for Sound of Metal and um, Promising Young Woman. I thought Promising Young Woman did really great intersplicing between what this woman was trying to do and mm -hmm. how she interacted with people to make a point. And then what, you know, there's a lot of what could be going on versus what realistically was going on. Um, right. And I don't want to spoil it. It's an amazing film. Everybody should go see it. But there were lots of bone chilling moments <laughs> where you're like, oh, gosh, um, but yeah, I definitely think Trial of Chicago 7, the, the way in which that story is told and mm -hmm. um, and we talked a lot about it last week, right? The way that that we have the realist, the real footage that actually occurred in the in the time we have, you know, scenes of, uh, so, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen's character speaking as if he's in a stand-up you know stand-up comedy scene doing talking about what's going on mm -hmm. we actually have filmed scenes in you know these courtroom areas that you know talk in the, the way the dialogue is interspliced it's just absolutely epic and wonderful so i think it deserves to win yeah i i agree with you i think the trial of the chicago seven is going to win it's kind of like a like a masterclass on how to edit film and keep the story tight and you're able to follow it. And like you said, it just has sort of like layers upon layers of what they're showing you at any given time. Uh, the Sound of Metal, the film editing was good in that one um, as well. You have kind of this uh, juxtaposition of the way that the sound design is playing against the way that you see things. Um, the Father here, which is, I think, kind of interesting and in, uh as a pick for film editing um like i mentioned before you have a lot of kind of stationary shots but uh just the way that you know it's kind of tied together to you know sort of convey this story of you know your main character having alzheimer's and um nomad land it's more of these sweeping type of type of shots but um they're longer shots. It, it looks beautiful, but as far as film editing goes, I think uh, Trial of Chicago 7 is the way that I'm going to go to. Yeah, and for me, it's always tough between editing and cinematography, right? Because the editing mm -hmm. is like how the cuts of the scene craft the story and not just the sweeping movements of the camera, mm -hmm. I think, yep. is how I'm supposed to be thinking about this. Um, yep. And so I think you're probably right. Nomadland, make no mistake, it's, it's amazing. And there's a reason why you know the director is up for best director right um but i think that in helping to really tell the story um and and shape the way that you're supposed to feel um at the end of it is is it's just beautifully done in trial of chicago seven so yep 
definitely. So, all right, best animated feature film is up next. Uh, so we have Onward, Over the Moon, a Shaun the Sheep movie, Barmageddon, Soul, and Wolfwalkers. Uh, now the Golden Globes, this went to Soul, um, and I don't see any reason to uh, go against that, but there were a couple of really good uh, animated films this year, in particular Wolfwalkers. I liked a lot the uh, visual style there um, of that one, telling this kind of Celtic fairy tale um, was really cool. I like that one a lot, but yeah, it, it's hard to uh, to get one up on Soul, although we had, uh, we had two Pixar films this year. So what are you thinking about the uh, animated feature film, Michaela? Yeah, I think Soul's going to win. Um, and I loved Soul, but I really thought that both Onward and Over the Moon were brilliant. And Soul was the first one that I saw. Um, and so, you know, perhaps I need to revisit that. Um, but because I, I, I definitely think it's going to win. But I just I actually just read an article about how <laughs> Pixar is going, you know, basically winning every best animated feature film whenever they mm-hmm. do something. Um, sure. And it doesn't have to be that way. I thought Onward was really wonderful. Um, I thought the story was really interesting. All, all of the stories, except perhaps Shaun of the Sheep, um, the Shaun the Sheep film, yep. all of this, all of the other stories had really interesting kind of complicated plots, um, mm-hmm. which was great um, because as an adult watching these rather than a child, you, you also want to be entertained and you want to be educated and, and kind of have your paradigm shifted. Um, so I think that's, I think that's probably why Pixar does so well in this category. Yeah. They really don't do child movies. They do adult movies that, you know, kids can see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Finding Nemo, just as an example, that was totally not for kids. It was a parent. It was a, it was a film for parents telling them to like quit being helicopter parents. That's really what it was about. And Soul, I, I think is probably doing the same thing. So it's going to win. Um, but I will say, uh, that, you know, over the moon, I thought the music was just great onward. Mm-hmm. I love the camaraderie and I loved the idea that, you know, it's a world where there's no more magic, but there's all these magical creatures, mm-hmm. <laughs> Sure, so, yeah. you know, and that there's, you know, a, um, the manticore manticore. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love the idea that a manticore has like a burger burger joint off yeah. highway nine, you know, and yeah. is like, um, played by Octavia Spencer. She's amazing. Yeah, I I just really loved that one. The animated films were all uh, were all really good, so I'd check those out. Maybe uh, uh, skip Shaun of the Sheep if you if you don't have uh, extra time. So, <laughs> it's probably was that your least favorite of them? Yeah, that that might have been my least favorite of all of the movies this year, but oh that's goodness. okay. That's all right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's done by the same people that did Wallace and Gromit, um, mm-hmm. so that stop animation. And it, it certainly is interesting. I, I liked it. I love, you know, but, uh, but I definitely think that the others um, and Wolfwalkers was surprisingly great. Um, I was not expecting to like that one that much. And I really did like it, but I think all the others really do take it to the next level as far as the plot. Yep. So next we have next category we have is best documentary short subject. The nominations for that are Colette. A Concerto is a Conversation, Do Not Split, Hunger Ward, and A Love Song for Latasha. These were, uh, yeah, all the documentary short subjects. They were all, you know, kind of really tough stories to to tell and to absorb, but I, they were all really good. This one's a tough one for me. Um, 
you have Collette, which is, you know, uh, talking about a concentration camp in uh, France that a woman's going back to uh, visit. You have, you know, Do Not Split that's talking about the um, kind of the unrest in uh, Hong Kong. Uh, you have Hunger Ward, which is talking about uh, basically this uh, malnourished uh, children's ward. Um, and it's, it's, it's all very tough to watch. So I'm going to uh, just go ahead and give my pick for this category. And I'm going to go with Colette. Um, as my pick for the documentary short subject. Um, but I do think that if you haven't watched these and, and the, uh, several, uh, like three of these, I think are available on YouTube and they're all available like on between YouTube and Hulu and Netflix. Uh, they're all short and they're all very much worth watching, um, even though they are pretty tough to, to get through some of those. But what about you, Michaela? What, what did you think about these uh, short documentaries this year? Well, that's the thing about documentaries, right, is usually they're not super uplifting. Um, and they're telling, you know, as we go through this, and I get this a lot, um, I'm going to go on a diatribe. I get this a lot where people say, why, you know, why do you watch films that are really tough to watch? Or why are they hard? Um, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, really depressing. If you know it's going to be depressing, why even, why bother? And I think it's really interesting. There are people in this world that want to be entertained and there are people in this world that want to be educated. And I definitely think that I'm both. Um, yep. And I think that if some of these things aren't made and they don't have the audience like a film festival that they get, you know, shown off at, um, mm -hmm. people won't know or see them. Um, you know, this is definitely something that I've used to educate myself. Um, if I didn't know about a subject and it ends up being in a documentary, um, I'll go and learn more about it. And I think that's mm -hmm. really the, the, you know, the beautiful thing about some of these. So, you know, for me, the biggest paradigm shifting film uh, in the short, short subject category was Hunger Ward. Mm -hmm. And it is very hard to watch because it is about a malnourished ward with children in Yemen, right? Um, I didn't know much about that whole situation. I was pretty ignorant, not willfully so, but I was pretty ignorant about it. And sure. I, I'll yep. tell you, there's nothing, there's nothing like watching something like this. And it is really beautifully done, even though it is so sad um, to, to really get yourself, kind of wake yourself up and say, you know, I may be complaining about the fact that I'm in my house and I have to wear a mask, but I'm, I mean, you know, I'm not starving to death. So um, I'm up on, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of kids. So, yeah. um, and it was really well done. I think that uh, a love song for Latasha was also really um, very, very good. Mm -hmm. All of these were wonderful, wonderfully done. Um, so I wouldn't be mad if any one of them won, but my, my, my favorite awful story is hunger ward <laughs> that sounds really that's, bad but yeah that that's that's your pick to win to win that's my award. pick yeah. to win for sure why yeah. why colette why did you pick colette just out of curiosity um i th i think that it's an interesting story and not something that we think about when you think about world war ii you think obviously about um you know kind of german germany and the concentration camps there you think about you know kind of the normandy invasions and you know the you know allied forces and and the fighting going on there but you don't think about sort of this uh resistance piece of it there and i i think that it's just uh interesting you know especially as um people who were directly involved or tied to world war ii are 
you know, there's fewer and fewer of them with us. I think that these stories are really important. And I just, I really like the way that uh, that one looked and how they kind of played it out and uh, the way it was shot in the, the story of it. I just, I just thought it was really well done. So mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's why I call it gets my pick this year. Yes. Well, it's, it's a, it's a really beautiful story. Um, Colette's ama amazing. Uh, and it is interesting because it does talk a little bit, you know, as an, as an American, we really are, you know, kind of, we don't realize that as these countries were invaded, that there were people and they even talk, they talk about it, right? Obviously that only mm -hmm. like 1% of the folks actually fought against what was going on there. And that's why it yep. was able to happen. Um, and it's paradigm changing, right? Because if there are things in the world, in, in your current society, no matter where you live, that you don't agree with it, you have a right and, and really kind of an obligation to stand up and, and voice that, right? Um, yep. Because if you don't, that's, that's when things like this can happen. So I, I, I totally hear you. I agree with the, that it's a, that it's a good story or yep. well, a well-made <laughs> yeah. film. A, a well-made short documentary. <laughs> Well, well, so uh, sticking with uh, well-made documentaries, our next category is the best documentary feature. So we have Collective, Crip Camp, The Mole Agent, My Octopus Teacher, and Time. Uh, Michaela, we have uh, have some more documentaries. Uh, which one? Which one spoke to you this year for the uh, feature-length documentaries? So I'm really torn um, between Collective and Crip Camp uh, for the winner. Crip Camp was my personal favorite, if, mm -hmm. if, if you can have a favorite documentary. Yep. Um, I thought that Crip Camp was pretty perfect in the way that it was, um, the stories were, was told. Uh, I love the way that they carry kind of the idea of this camp being a basis for this revolution for um, mm -hmm. folks that were, you know, uh, not able-bodied or, you know, different-bodied, um, and the way that they start off with a very simplistic kind of idea that, hey, there was this camp and it was great for, you know, kids to go and feel like they were not that different and that they all, they had a place where they belonged to really, right. you know, sparking a movement that, you know, changed the way that we work as an American society, right? Um, mm -hmm. And it was nice to see that it, it, it was very uplifting. It was hard, but it was also, uh, you felt really good about how the story was told. It, it didn't miss anything. You didn't, there weren't any holes where you were wondering what was happening. Um, yep. So it's, it's definitely my pick. I will say all of these were, were pretty good. My octopus teacher was absolutely gorgeous. If you mm -hmm. are a scuba diver or you love um, animals, it, you know, uh, or sea life, it is so well done and beautiful and tells an amazing story. And of course there's collective, which is shocking and so, so well done. I mean, it's, it's nominated for other things other than best documentary and it, that mm -hmm. has never happened. Um, uh, but I just, Crip Camp's got my heart. So I really, I, ho I hope it gets, I hope it wins. Going with Crip Camp. Yeah. They're all, yeah. They're all very excellent. Um, uh, my octopus teacher, like you said, that was, if you listen to our 2020 recap show, I said that that was, you know, one of the best films that I'd watched last year. So in my heart, I want to go with that one, but um, it's, it's hard to not pick collective, especially since it's nominated for 
the best foreign language film. You would have to think that that sort of gives it a leg up. But yeah, Crip Camp is excellent. Um, my wife and I, we watch a lot of documentaries. We watched Crip Camp the weekend that it came out because we were so um, interested in the story and how this played out. Um, the Mole Agent, you know, really good. You know, kind of, it's you know, kind of an interesting story. It's it's very different than the other than the other ones. Um, uh, but you know, it has a really good good message. Um, you know, as as good documentaries do in time, uh, really good as well. So this this one's tough for for me. Like you said, I'm kind of torn between Collective and Crip Camp, and in my heart of hearts, I would love for it to be octopus teacher but i think that i'm probably going to go with crip camp i think that i'm going uh same as you on this one i'm gonna follow yeah. your lead and and pick crip camp i think it yeah it was just it was an important story to be told and it's it's definitely not something that i don't think many of us know or know about or you know care to know and i think that that um makes it really important and you know you could say the same for you know most of these other documentaries as well, but um, I, th I think Crip Camp, it, it just plays an important life, you know, even going forward, you know, decades later in the day-to-day -day lives of people, so. Absolutely, absolutely. Nope, I totally agree. Our, our next category really helps us out in this, and I feel better about this choice given our next category, which is Best International Film, mm -hmm. um, because Collective, is one of the nominations for best international film. And so I feel that it, it has a kind of wiggle room to get, to get recognized in that way. So for best international film, we have Another Round from Denmark, Better Days from Hong Kong, Collective from Romania, The Man Who Sold His Skin from Tunisia, and Gul Vadis Aida from Bosnia and Herzegovina. And all of these films were amazing. I know, you know, I really was hoping uh, that another round uh, would, would do really well in this category because it has Mads Nicholson in it, who's mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. And I love the idea behind that. Um, and it's that one and the man who sold his skin are, uh, probably the most fantastical of them. Uh, Better Days is is mm -hmm. very much a, kind of a realistic biopic about a realistic fiction biopic about uh, bullying in in Hong Kong. And mm -hmm. of course, Collective is a documentary, so it's definitely based on uh, the truth. And Kiovadis Aida is uh, based on the Bosnian uh, war. Uh, and horrible things that happened there. So I was really hoping another round would uh, continue to be my number one pick. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that my heart did change <laughs> after seeing all of these others. I still okay. think it's amazing. Uh, and if it wins, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sad about it, but um, you know, Q Vadis Aida was brilliantly done. I was not expecting much. I don't know why. Um, mm -hmm. I had no idea what it was about. And it's one of those things that really educated me. I immediately went and researched it because I had no idea what was, uh, what was actually going on. And perhaps right. that's why it was so shocking and awful and, and beautiful at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I, I think this is going to give Collective its, its room because it's nominated for both things, um, for both Best International Film and Best Documentary. So that's okay. my pick. I think Collective is probably going to win. Um, and the great thing about Collective, while we're on the subject and I'm diatribing, um, is that it is a documentary. So it is telling a real story. And if you mm -hmm. didn't know that it was real and you thought it was maybe this kind of guerrilla um you know, this guerrilla cinematography kind of, um, yeah, kind of newsroom sort of. A yeah. Thing. Yeah. Kind of different style of mm -hmm. filmmaking. You would still be shocked. You're like, Oh my gosh. Um, cause there's a lot of twists and turns that happen Yeah, and it's all real. So, um, yeah. Collective was my choice for best, uh, international film. Okay. So, uh, it's important to note. So in the Golden Globes, Minari won Best International Film. Um, it's not nominated for this. Now, I did a little bit of digging. Apparently, in the Golden Globes, you're only allowed to be nominated for one or the other. You can't be nominated for Best Foreign Film and Best Picture. Um, so oh. the, the I guess the publishing company for Minari decided to go with Best International Film in the Golden Globes. Um, now, in the Oscars, you can be in both. Obviously, we um, we saw Parasite, you know, win every award last year. So um, I'm not sure why they didn't submit it for best international film. Um, but I, I don't know if it was a money thing, if they, you know, kind of decided to put all their eggs in one basket and didn't want to, to foot the bill for having, you know, multiple uh, nominees out there. I'm, I'm not really sure why that happened. But yeah, so anyway, Minari won the Golden Globe. Uh, Michaela did a really good job of summing up kind of uh, these films for uh everyone but i'm going to actually go with uh i guess michaela's original uh heartfelt pick and i'm going to go with another round from denmark um i think in terms of just films i think it's the best done sort of tightest uh film of it it tells a very kind of specific story but i feel like that the way that it's done that story can apply to a lot of people and a lot of different uh stations in life um the film is kind of about a group of friends who decide to go on this uh, sort of science experiment where they're, where they're drinking, but it's to kind of combat, you know, feeling a little bit rudderless in their own lives. So I think you can, like I said, I think you can kind of uh, fit that into uh, your own story. Uh, like I said, no matter where you're at. So I think that another round from Denmark is going to be my pick for best international film. Well, I, I hope you're right. I hope that that is not the deciding factor and that is why you win um, next week, but <laughs> I hope you're right. I, I really did love it. And I thought that it tell, it does tell a great story to your point about Minari. I'm wondering if the criteria for best international film was that it had to have been made outside of the United States, no matter what language it is, because it was made in Florida or something, right? As, uh, is in Arkansas. I think the only, as, as far as I could tell, I was look, I was trying to look it up and everything was just about the Golden Globe. So I was only in that one. I couldn't really figure out why it was for the Oscars. Now, I think that it only has to have like 51% be in a foreign language for it to uh, qualify, but I, I'm not 100% sure. So if you are listening and you do know, let us know. Uh, you can reach out and let us know because I would be really interested in knowing. Maybe they'll talk about that in some of the, the pre-show stuff and we'll get a little bit uh, of clarity as to to why that is but yeah so yeah. another round for me and collective for Michaela and best international film yes absolutely all right so now we're into the uh, screenplays here so for the best adapted screenplay 
We've got Borat, subsequent movie film, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and White Tiger. Um, Michaela, what about these uh, adapted screenplays? These uh, these stories that are based on you know other stories and books. Uh, do any of these stand out to you this year? Oh gosh. Um... So I thought One Night in Miami was really amazing given that it was a play before it was a film Mm -hmm. and it was very dialogue driven. There were some clunky moments in the, in the screenplay to me. Um, But I thought it was outstanding and I was actually very surprised that it wasn't given uh, more Oscar nods um, because I thought it was a very well done movie. Um, Mm -hmm. White Tiger. uh, Can we just talk about that? Because that was amazing. I, I thought it was a really cool story. Um, of course, I love anything based in India um, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's not kind of typical Bollywood. I thought yep. it was fabulous. And I didn't realize that it, um, that it was adapted. So I thought, I thought that the way in which that the main character kind of talks and tells the story as he's writing this letter or mm-hmm. a group of letters, um, I thought that was really clean and neat. Um, and then the father, oh my gosh. The father is so well written um, and the way in which that is done is very emotionally driven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there's some, yeah, it is pretty good. Um, I was, I didn't know Nomadland was based on a book though, not a play, correct? Correct. Yeah. Nomadland. Um, the White Tiger was also based on a book. I'm not really sure what Borat was based on. I don't know if it's just because it's based on his character, um, if that's how it's uh, getting into the adapted screenplay. But yeah, The Father and One Night in Miami were both plays. This one's hard for me because I, I really did like The Father and I mm-hmm. thought it was very, I thought the script was very well written and it was really beautifully acted. Um now, it might, it might be worth pointing out, so in the Golden Globes, they do an award for Best Screenplay, um, Adapted or Original, and Aaron Sorkin won that for Trial of the Chicago 7, so we don't, have, we don't have any sort of history to go off of here. So Yeah, I think if I'm pressed, my original gut was Nomadland, and it's really, for me, it's between Nomadland and The Father. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that one scene, and again, I don't want to talk too much about The Father if people haven't seen it yet, but it starts off in a conversation, and then the whole scene ends, and it kind of starts and begins in the same vein, mm-hmm. and yep. Brian, you know what I'm talking about because you've seen it, and th- yep. that was so beautifully done. I, I kind of want The Father to win Best Adapted Screenplay, so I think that's what I want to have my answer be. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think that I'm going with the father here for best adapted screenplay. And yeah, that the scene you're talking about is is really wonderful. If you watch the father, you'll you'll know which one we're talking about right away too. But yeah, it kind of starts and ends in the same the same place, and you don't even sort of pick up on it until it's basically happening. Um, my heart, I would really like to pick the White Tiger. Um, it was really excellent um i'm very tempted to actually go pick up the book to read because the movie was that good and so interesting and so different than kind of anything else that we saw this year but i i think that it would be hard pressed to 
be chosen over something like the father or nomad land so um yeah for best adapted screenplay i'm going with the father yeah the father is uh you know it's gotten a lot of love the last couple of weeks from uh you know a lot of press but because of it it's it's in some other categories that people might believe or or feel already kind of spoken for um i I would be surprised if it didn't win something and this 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 is one Mm -hmm. that is an easy thing to to say yes it's it's outstanding and but definitely if you not if nobody's seen the white tiger um i believe that's on netflix now yeah that's a that's a netflix one yep yeah and it's it is really worth your time it's it's fantastic um it's it's awesome it's really good yeah definitely definitely worth checking out so for the next category we have best original screenplay Okay. And the nominees for that are Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. And it should be no surprise to anybody that I pick The Trial of the Chicago 7 because I love that movie so much. Yeah, I, uh, I also am choosing The Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, like I just mentioned, Darren Sorkin had won the Golden Globe for Best Screenplay. But I mean, really, all of these are our excellent Judas and the Black Messiah is so good. And the screenplay for Minari is so good. And the screenplay for Promising Young Woman is so, so good. Um, I would, I would really, I would really like to pick that one. The Sound of Metal, the, the screenplay, I wasn't quite as uh, sold on. It is interesting because a lot of it is done um, in American Sign Language. So it has kind of that, you know, little bit of extra there, but just, the way that the trial of the Chicago seven is written. And if you listen to our episode last week, we talk about it just, you know, there's, you know, 16 characters on the screen and they, they, it's not like one of them has lines and the other ones are just sitting there. It's all interwoven and it's, it's orchestrated so brilliantly. It's uh, it would be hard for me to pick anything other than that. Yeah. Yeah. So can't, so I have a lot of love for Judas and the black Messiah. I think, the script told a really beautiful story and the way in which the main character and kind of his love interest kind of react to all Mm -hmm. of these things. And of course the backdrop of all of the, you know, political things happening and the way Jesse Plemons character is brought in and Mm -hmm. some of the conversations that are happening there, I think are just really, it's very subtle, but it's very, very well done. Um, you know, promising young woman, I, I feel bad because I don't, they're not, it's not getting a lot of my picks, but I think that mm-hmm. it's a really wonderful, um, screenplay and it was a really interesting idea. Um, it's, you know, very inspiring, uh, in a lot of ways as a, as a woman to, yeah. to, to notice things in a different way than I've ever noticed before. Um, you know, one of the opening scenes is, uh, a woman is looking like she's had way too much to drink and you think very well-meaning boys or men are going to help her get home. And, you know, they get, they do sort of, and then they don't, <laughs> you think yeah. it's going to be fine. And then it's totally not. And the way in which that's constructed and the, the, this, the dialogue that occurs is mm-hmm. pretty epic and awesome. So yeah. I think all of these are great. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, you just can't Aaron Sorkin, you know, he just doesn't write anything. That's not amazing. It's, I mean, I've not seen anything that he's done that I haven't loved 
um, the rhythm of the cadence of um, you put really good actors behind them and it's going to tell an amazing story. So, yep. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. We're on to the acting categories. So we're going to start here with the best supporting actress. So we have Maria Bakalova from Borat subsequent movie film, Glenn Close from Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman from The Father, Amanda Seyfried from Mank, and Ya Young Young from Minari. And I probably butchered that, so I apologize there. Um, now, in the Golden Globes, this was won by Jodie Foster, who did not get nominated um, for uh, the Academy Awards. So we're going to have uh, kind of a split here in that. So uh, my Golden Globes pick was uh, Amanda Seyfried, if I uh, remember correctly. Um, and she's really, uh, really great. Um, I don't know if I'm going to stick with her uh, going back around. But what about you, Michaela? What do you think about the uh, supporting actress category this year? So I really think, once again, it's Olivia Coleman and Glenn Close, which makes me really sad in a way, um, because this replayed itself uh, just a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And I really hope Glenn Close wins. I I thought Olivia Coleman was amazing. I really did. Um, But I didn't feel like her particular character changed my paradigm um, of how I, I, I personally feel about what happens in that film. Um, but Glenn Close's character was amazing. I mean, there are so many layers to that character. Um, she's, she plays a grandmother, um, that's very unattractive, um, living in, you know, that she's, she was in the backwoods of Kentucky and, uh, and then moves, she moves to, they move she moves to another town and she's helping to raise her her daughter who has uh, drug issues and her grandson who actually is very smart and very bright and she is not a likable character but she's also a very lovable character it's she's just spot on and um you're not supposed to award someone for the lifetime achievement that's why we have a lifetime achievement award but Darn it, she's been nominated for so many things that were amazing. And it is, it's time, it's time. And so, you know, Olivia Coleman, I love you, but I think we can all agree that it's, it's, it's Glenn Close's time. Um, so that's, that's my spiel. That's my soapbox. I'm going to get off it now. Okay, so you're sticking with Glenn Close. So uh, that was your pick for the Golden Globe too, I believe. So, so yes. we both, we both missed out on that one. Um, yeah, like you said, Olivia Coleman was really good in The Father. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm torn. I, I really still do like Amanda Seyfried, um, from Mank and she was my pick. I don't, uh, Maria Bakalova was really good in Borat as, as well, but I don't, I don't see her winning the award. And I don't know that you young, young from Minari, I, I don't know if she did enough for me to, to kind of warrant, weren't the pick so yeah like you i you got glenn close you got olivia coleman um you know what i'm gonna stick with my original pick though i'm going to say that amanda seafried uh, i don't know because i said mank wasn't going to win oh man what a what is what is a guy to do um i will say you jung young would be an amazing upset right that would be amazing because she did an amazing job yeah she she was really good um yeah, these are these are all so good and all good picks. So, um, feet to the fire here. All right, I'm going to pick Olivia Coleman from The Father. 
I'm just going to going to hedge my bets. Uh, we'll split the difference. You take Glenn Close. I'll take Olivia Coleman. And that's going to be the deciding one there, I think, for us. Okay. So for Best Supporting Actor, we have Sasha Barrett Cohen from The Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya from Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. from One Night in Miami, Paul Racy, Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield from Judas and the Black Messiah. Now, let me just say on the outset that this is Best Supporting Actor and not Best Actor in a Leading Role. So... We can debate all day about Judas and the Black Messiah and why there are two <laughs> characters here um, mm-hmm. that are uh, in here uh, in this category. I really enjoyed uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, acting in Trial of Chicago 7. I thought he was mm-hmm. brilliant. And I have to say, and I've said it before, if I ever meet him, I'd say it again. I cannot uh, wrap my head around a lot of his comedy. I just don't get it. It's yeah. my fault entirely. A lot of people think he's very funny. I just don't, uh, I just can't get into his comedy. However, every single thing that he has done that is dramatic is beautifully, beautifully done. Um, I really recommend, even if anybody hearing this, that reson- that, that resonates with as far as his comedy, please go give him a chance and watch Spy and watch Trial of Chicago 7. Um, he's awesome. And so I, I definitely, I wouldn't be mad if he won um, because it is a, it is a really amazing um, kind of character study on a real person. And that's really hard to do and mm-hmm. not... Uh, offend somebody or do it too much or do it not enough. I mean, that, that is really difficult to do, um, especially if there's somebody that's no longer alive because people have opinions. So, yep. you know, and I thought Lakeith Stanfield, I mean, I, I just, I, he, his performance was very nuanced. Um, it was not super in your face. Um, and he does really achieve the look and feel of a real person as well. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that was really, that would be really hard, um, to, to not see him get, uh, to, to take that home. But my heart is with Daniel Kaluuya. I have to say that I owe him and this whole movie, uh, a a a ton of gratitude for helping educate me on, um, the Black Panther Party, because growing up, I always thought that the Black Panther Party was this really scary kind of domestic terrorist organization. And this Mm -hmm. is the year to learn about it because it's in three of the films (laughs) that are nominated. And um, it really was eye-opening to me. It helped spawn me to learn more about the history and actually what it, what, what that organization uh, did and how, uh, you know, the uh, death of and murder of Fred Hampton went down. I thought that that, was amazing. And I think Daniel Kaluuya is totally deserved in winning this award. So that's my pick. Yeah. So the Golden Globes, uh, Daniel Kaluuya won the Golden Globe, and then he also won the Screen Actors Guild Award uh, two weeks ago or whenever that was. So um, I'm also with you. I think that he's going to win. Um, now my pick for the Golden Globe was Sasha Baron Cohen, um, and you know, like Michaela just mentioned, he's excellent. All of these actors were excellent. Uh, Paul Racy from The Sound of Metal was outstanding. Um, I wasn't super familiar uh, with him, but you know, just what he was, you know, able to 
to convey um, in sort of this, you know, half, you know, spoken language and half um, American Sign Language. Uh, just a fantastic job. So all of these are are very good picks, but I think that Daniel Kaluuya um, is going to, you know, a little uh, kind of heads above everyone else this year. So, okay. Yeah. We are into the uh, the best actor and actress categories, Michaela. We are getting getting close to the top here. So, uh, best actress. We'll start with we've got Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andra Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Now, in the Golden Globes, we had Andra Day and Rosamund Pike were the two winners there for the Best Actress category. Um, and again, this is uh, very similar to the uh, you know all of these categories this year, and that all of all of these women were uh, so excellent in their portrayals. So you have you know, some historical figures, some uh, new characters, uh, some sort of more you know kind of monologue. Uh, driven type characters like Frances McDormand. Uh, but my pick in the best actress category, I'm going to stick with my Golden Globes pick. Um, and I'm going to go with Carrie Mulligan from Promising Young Woman uh, as my pick here. Uh, what about you, Michaela? What do you, what do you think about these uh, women in the best actress category? Well, it's been a really interesting race uh, because a different person has won, I think every time mm-hmm. except the BAFTAs just happened, right? And Frances McDormand actually won, uh, mm-hmm. which was the first win for her because everybody kind of thought she had this one in the bag. Um, yep. But then, you know, as uh, all the awards started shaping out, uh, everyone's kind of gotten one. <laughs> so it's been yeah. really interesting. Um, yeah, and Andra Day won the Golden Globe, as I mentioned. Um, Viola Davis won the, the Screen Actors Guild Award, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's been so everyone's won one. So everyone, everyone's won one. I I have to say, I think Vanessa Kirby is sort of forgotten about in this mass of really um, kind of famous uh, big screen actresses. So Vanessa Kirby is mm-hmm. not super well known on the big screen. I think she is from um, The Crown, right? That's where her yeah, most she recent was, work is. She was in The Crown. I think she was in one of the. Um, Mission Impossible films, but yeah, most people would know her from uh, The Crown. Yeah, and I, I, I really loved Pieces of a Woman as much as you can love something that's so sad and deeply, deeply upsetting. Um, mm-hmm. I thought her performance was amazing. She plays a woman in grief, uh, losing a child in a very, again, very nuanced way. Um, she does things that make you at well, make me as a, as a mother, very angry. She does things that make me very sad. She does things that I totally respect. I mean, it's, she does all of these things and it's totally believable. Um, you know, I will say last year, um, Renee Zellweger won for Judy. And I thought that as a biopic on a person that was an entertainer, Andrew mm-hmm. Day did a much better job in my opinion. And so um, I'm really rooting for Andrew Day again. I think yep. that it would be kind of a double standard to have Renee Zellweger have won and not Andrew Day win. You know, they're very different characters, but I think Andrew Day just does a really amazing job. Um, you know, Frances McDormand, she's awesome. All these women are amazing. And 
you know, I wouldn't be mad if any of them won, but mm-hmm. um, I'm really sticking to my guns. I know for the Golden Globes, I um, I think I had picked Carrie Mulligan, um, but I I really think that Andrew Day is gonna gonna take this one home again. So next we have Best Actor. Nominations are Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Steven Yeun for Minari. Man, there's a lot of great actors in this category. I know it. Yeah, and this one, um, as far as snubs go, I was I was kind of disappointed and surprised to not see uh, Tahar Rahim nominated for the Mauritanian, but I don't know who you you would take out i mean there were there were just so many good uh performances this year yeah yeah this was really hard um i gotta be honest when the nominations came out i think anthony hopkins was immediately at the bottom of my list because i was like man i don't know um and then i saw the father and was like oh holy moly um the final scene of his is amazing Mm-hmm. And the whole the whole thing, you know, again, it's you know, it's dealing with a with a man who who is suffering from Alzheimer's. And so that's very tough. I, I don't uh, having personally experienced uh, family members ex- going through that. It is super believable what he's doing and yep. um, how he is reacting to to slowly losing his mind. It's amazing. Um, you know, Gary Oldman, I mean, everything he does is awesome. <laughs> you know, it's no surprise that once again, he's been given an Oscar nod. Um, yeah. Because everything he touches turns to gold. I think outstanding. I, Riz Ahmed, I mean, wow. Uh, he was amazing in The Night Of, and that was the first time I'd really ever seen anything that he did. And now everything mm-hmm. he touches, I make a point to go watch. Because I want to go check out, um, yeah. Because he just doesn't half-ass anything. He is all in 100%. And I think that's one of the reasons he was he was chosen um, to to be the main character in Sound of Metal. So I'm really glad he got nominated. Um, however, as amazing as all of these actors are, I, I really think that this is going to go to Chadwick Boseman um, for his performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And I, I think that's the right choice to make. Um, uh, again, it's it, it's tough when you have someone who's been post posthumously, yes, posthumously uh, nominated. It's very tough because you're not be, as a human. It's hard for you to just rate their work in this one film, which is outstanding and amazing in and of itself. But you're mm-hmm. also, you know, reading how they have changed cinema over time. Um, and Chadwick Boseman has done a lot of really amazing work that didn't get nominations um, that everyone should go check out. He was Jackie Robinson in 42. He played. Oh, James, uh, James. Yeah, he played James Brown. James Brown. He, um, so he's done a lot of, you know, real people as well. And mm-hmm. I was surprised when I saw, to be honest, when I saw him do 42 and I saw him play um, James Brown and get on up, I was actually very surprised that he wasn't given the nominations. So I, I think this is really kind of a long time coming and, and sort of a referendum on the collective work that he did for cinema. 
So I, I think that he is going to be taking, um, well, his family will be taking it home for him. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, yeah, kind of reiterate what you said, all, all of these uh, performances were amazing. Anthony Hopkins in particular was, you know, just completely outstanding. I don't know who else you could put in that role and have it come across as believable and, um, I don't, I don't know if heartfelt is the, is the right word, but you know what I mean? I don't know who else could have done that role other than Anthony Hopkins and done it any justice. Um, so, but I, yeah, I think you have to go with Chadwick Boseman, um, won the Golden Globe, won the Screen Actors Guild. And I think um, he'll take the uh, uh, sweep here um, and win for his job in Marani's Black Bottom. Yeah. Okay. So down to the, uh, down to the last two here. So we've got Best Director. Uh, so the nominations for the Best Director this year are Thomas Vinterberg for another round, David Fincher for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. Uh, what, about, what about these directors? So we had Chloe Zhao won the Golden Globe for Best Director. Uh, do you think it's going to go the same way? Or what do you, what do you think about these directors? I really think that it's Chloe Zhao's year. Her, her direction of that story was really amazing. I, I really also, Emerald Fennel, I mean, she's done some really great work as well. And I, I feel like Promising Young Woman's not going to get a lot of love from the Oscars, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I mean, it's a, it is an honor just to be nominated, but I... Um, I'm pulling for her as well. I, I wouldn't be mad if she, if she won. I wouldn't be mad if any of these, if, if any of these won. I think, uh, you know, Minari was really special. I was very surprised with how much I liked that film, to be honest. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was, there was a lot of storytelling that happened silently Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but it wasn't up for cinematography, I don't believe. So that was a little surprising to me. Um, there were really a lot of shots that I thought really helped tell the story. And, um, so I'm really glad that he got nominated, but I think, I think it's going to be closed out again. Yeah. Yeah. This one's, this one's tricky. Um, Chloe Zhao does, she does a lot with a little in Nomadland. Um, like it would be very easy to kind of take what she did with Nomadland and have it come across as kind of dull and boring, but you never feel that way when you're watching it, right? There's a lot of quiet time. Um, there's a lot of long periods without any dialogue and it all, it doesn't, you never feel stale, you don't ever, you know, wonder when someone's going to talk again or, you know, anything like that. Uh, yeah. So that one's just, that one's excellent. I think the, uh, Miss Zhao is probably the, uh, smart pick. Um, like you, I would really like to see Emerald Fennel uh, win this one because I really liked uh, the film Promising a Woman. Um, I thought it was interesting. I think that it's important. And I, I think that it was really well done and creative in a way that, you know, kind of some of these other ones are a little bit more direct. Uh, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say that Lee Isaac Chung uh, for Minari is going to be my pick for best director. Okay. Well, I would be happy if, if you were right and I was wrong, because I do think that he deserves some accolade. Um, Minari is really a, a very special film. It's just a, 
it's hard, right? Because we've mentioned a couple of times that, you know, pretty much if you look at every category, uh, you know, of the, you know, 56 films or whatever, maybe there's one or two that you could make a case that shouldn't be in there. But by and large, all of these are worthy of having been nominated. And if they won, I I think at least myself personally, I think would probably be okay. You know, that makes sense that that person won. There's not a lot of outliers or things that would be crazy upsets if they were to happen, right? So um, I think it's just going to be unfortunate that we have, we'll have a lot of really good films and some of them are just going to strike out this year. And it's just kind of a, a case of just, you know, the cream rises to the top and just it's it's all good this year. So Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, well, we only have one more category left and that is Best Picture. The nominees for Best Picture are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, and The Sound of Metal. Okay, so we had for the Golden Globe, we had Nomadland was the uh, Best Picture there. Now, in the Golden Globes, uh, both you and I, Michaela, we both picked Trial of the Chicago 7, and if... Uh, anyone listening out there happened to listen to our episode last week, they would uh, likely know which way we're going to go again this year. But I, these films are all just really incredible. And I'm really glad that, you know, we each had a chance to watch through all of these. So I, I we've, we've spoken, you know, kind of at length about all of these. So I, they're all just, they're all so good. You have all these, I was really excited to see sound of metal, uh, get recognized just because it's so creative and it's so different than stories you might normally see um you know in a best picture category you know everyone always wants to see sort of you know different stories and new unique stories and things and that one definitely fits the bill there um you know it you could say the same about promising a woman we've spoken about that a couple of times now but yeah for me the trial the chicago seven i there isn't anything about it that isn't great that I could think of anyways. Uh, what about, what about you, Michaela? Yeah. I, I mean, I really echo your sentiments uh, there. I, these are all really amazing films. And I think that anybody who watches it, their life would be enriched <laughs> because again, it's both going to be educational to an extent uh, and challenging your paradigm um, and entertaining, right? Um, you know, the trial of Chicago seven is a really brilliant mix of things that are very comedic and also, uh, very serious. Um, it also is very apropos given uh, what's going on from an American standpoint in our kind of socioeconomic political climate. Um, I think that, you know, all of these films are worthy. Sound of Metal was really, I was very glad as you were to see that it, it made it to Best Picture um, because it is it was interesting and uh, is very near and dear to my heart. I think that you know, if any of these won, I would be, um, I would understand. Um, but I, I really hope uh, that that <laughs> the trial of Chicago 7 comes through um, and beats out Nomadland. I, I just think that while Nomadland's a, a little bit safer, it's a safer bet. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we've done that before. You know, I really think a couple of years ago when it was really kind of between Black Klansman and Green, Green Book, um, Green Book One, and it was a safer of the two choices. And mm-hmm. I, I love both of them, don't get me wrong, but I really think that, um, you know, 
in our in our voting, we we should be bold. And so um, I'm going for it. I think it's the trial of Chicago Seven. I really hope it wins. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens next week. Yeah. So yeah, we'll find out. So uh, so those are our picks. So thank you, anyone you know listening along with us, listening about our picks. Hopefully, we gave you a little bit of insight to you know what we're thinking about and gave you uh, some good ideas and things to think about when you go to enter our Oscar contest. So um, just remember to go do that. You want to get your entries in before the Oscars start on Sunday night. So to do that, just go to our website. It's www.drinkthemovies.com and just look for the Oscars 2021 link. Uh, There you'll just go through and it basically just runs through all of the uh, categories. So just make your pick, put your email in. And if you make the most correct picks, you will win one of our limited edition custom made drink the movies oscars 2021 uh rocks glass and that's pretty cool we're going to be uh making some fancy drinks to drink out of ours on sunday um hopefully uh we'll get the chance to go live on instagram or facebook or something maybe to kind of check in from our own red carpet we'll have to see if our hair and makeup is uh looking good enough to do that so so we'll see there um, that if you have your own Oscar party, we want to see pictures of that or, you know, want to see pictures of what you're drinking while you're watching. If you're making uh, one of our martini recipes, we want to see that. So uh, get those pictures, tag us on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter. It's at drink the movies and facebook.com slash drink the movies. Um, I'll get the recipes for our martinis put up on the website. And then we'll also get kind of our list of picks posted onto the social medias this week too. So we will have those. So we can't back out of uh, the picks that we made here and we'll see if I'm able to, uh, to top Michaela once again and come out with the Oscar crown. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. We should really get a crown as well. <laughs> yeah. That would be good. A crown and a, and a glass. A scepter. Right? Yes. A crown, a glass, a scepter. You're just... <laughs> You can, you can be Oscar king or queen for, for the night. The if, I like if you it. Win. Yeah. So, yeah. So as you can tell, we're very excited about the Oscars and we hope that you're all very excited about the Oscars too. Uh, Michaela, why don't you tell people where they can check out the podcast? You can find us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere that anchor podcasts are distributed. We'd appreciate it if you subscribed. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review because it helps us get the drink, the movies out there. Okay. And with that, I think we're going to go ahead and close out. We have to get our picks submitted onto the website. So they're official. And I think we need at least one more martini to decompress from making all of these tough choices tonight. And uh, we've got to rest up because, you know, Sunday night Oscars is not that far off. So. Yep. That's absolutely true. Um, can't wait for everybody to join us. It's going to be amazing. Uh, we will see you next time on Drink Drink the movies. movies. All my picks were correct, I think.